Good morning, class! For today's history lesson, we're going to talk about someone very important. The President of the United States of America. Now, I'm sure a lot of your parents have told you that maybe one day you'll grow up to be the President. I want to let you know right now that that is a lie. Not one of you in this class will ever be President. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Almost Presidents podcast weekly coverage of the 2024 presidential election. In a crowded primary field full of losers or almost presidents, we're here to keep you up to speed on the news that you need to know. On today's episode, as you might have heard and then heard again and then heard again, it's an election year. So we forecast the first two states that are going to decide who they'd like to see on the top of the ticket for the Republicans. It's Trump. Kevin, are we done? Is that it for that? Do we, can we take this segment out? It's Trump. Yeah, I mean, not not much more to say there, but we will say more anyway. Next, it's the saddest show on television. The last Republican debate before the Iowa caucuses featuring Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. So don't be sad because it's over. Be sad if you wasted time out of your life to watch it at all. Following that, Turns out that in the eyes of history, three years is a long time after all, as the Republican frontrunner and his peers can't seem to recollect what happened at the Capitol on January 6, 2020. And if you're sick of waiting for the outcome of the 2024 presidential election, turns out we already know what it is. So stay tuned because we may have spoilers for who's going to win. And as always, we're still feeling it in our heart, and we know that you are as well, feeling the burgum in memory of the 2024 Doug Burgum presidential campaign. So starting out with the upcoming Iowa caucuses, these are going to be happening on January 15th, and then followed closely is going to be the New Hampshire primary on January 23rd. So we're going to talk about New Hampshire a lot more next week. We'll focus our attention a bit more in this episode on the Iowa caucuses, because this is actually the last time that you're going to hear from us before voters start to caucus or whatever the heck it is they do in Iowa. Um, <laughs> So Kevin, what is what is going on with Iowa? Yeah, so I mean, without going into the weeds on what actually a caucus is and how Iowa's primary is a bit different from other states, Iowa caucuses generally are slightly different from primaries. It's not a formal like vote. It's it's more like different people gather in different localities to figure out who they're going to nominate for a president which is a whole mess, but it probably doesn't matter too much this year because there's really no question about who's going to win. We all know the polls at this point. Trump dominates in Iowa in particular. The polls that I saw were had him upwards of 40 to 50% above Nikki Haley, who's the next highest contender. So there's really just not a question at this point at who's going to win. I mean, there have been surprises in the Iowa caucuses in the past, right? Pete Buttigieg won in 2020 in the Democratic primary. I believe Ted Cruz won in 2016. I don't expect that there's going to be any surprises here, but I guess we'll see. One thing that is worth noting, Iowa is scheduled to get some pretty brutal snowstorms. I believe they already have at this point, and at the by the time this has come out, I'm sure there will have been more, and some very frigid temperatures as well, which is obviously going to affect candidates' ability to campaign. Now, given that, the campaigning, we have we have some sense of how it's going. And Vivek in particular has been hauling ass across the state. 
even given the bad weather. So I pulled this off of, I mean, I pulled it off of Twitter, but there was a count of basically all the events. Trump had 24, DeSantis had 99, Nikki Haley had 51, and Vivek had 239. That's literally like more, like that's like essentially twice as many <laughs> as like the other two. Wait, I mean, more, way more. Yeah, it's more than the other right? three combined. I mean, right? Jesus, so, yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to look, there there was a map posted on Twitter by a guy named Alex Thompson, and it basically showed the counties where each of the candidates had went. It had a separate map for each candidate. And for Vivex, basically the whole state is just red for all the can- the counties he hit. So, you know, as much as we as much as we bag on the guy, you got to give him credit. He's working hard out there in Iowa. I don't know why. I don't know what motivates him. I don't know what he expects to get out of it, but he's doing the work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, nobody can deny the fact that the guy hustles. That is for sure. Like I'm impressed with DeSantis for doing 99 events. He's officially done what I guess they call out in Iowa, the full Grassley, which is the name that they give when you hit all 99 counties. Vivek did it twice. And then I guess he's just going around and essentially doing victory laps at this point. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think even the most optimistic thing that I've heard about somebody other than Trump taking this was that Trump has a lot of voters who have a high propensity not to turn out to caucus. But when you look at just how far ahead he is, and even the most modest of polls, he doesn't need all those people to show up. He needs some of the already massive amounts of people he has to make it a blowout. And a blowout is the optimistic way of looking at it if you're DeSantis or Haley getting blown out. But the reality is you're probably just going to get utterly destroyed. And then the only other optimistic thing I heard, if you're not looking for Trump to come out of Iowa the winner, or come out of the general election the winner, rather, is that Iowa hasn't had the front runner for the GOP in, in quite a long time. I believe that's correct. I don't remember all of the previous primary results. But I mean, like I was saying earlier, Iowa is not a normal primary. They don't do the same kind of primary that most states do. And so we shouldn't be surprised that oftentimes the results aren't super representative, which, you know, gets into a whole conversation of does it actually make sense to have Iowa be the first state you do, which is another question. But yeah, I, it, it is a thing where there's a history of the Iowa caucus not really being indicative of who the winner is actually going to be. I don't expect that to be the case in this instance because it looks like Trump is very likely to win and it looks like he's very likely to win basically all of the other states as well. So I don't expect that to be the case if Trump wins this time around, that it won't be representative. I think whatever happens in the Iowa caucus, I think we should expect that it's probably going to be a Trump victory in the primary, unless he gets barred from the ballot, which is a whole nother question. Right. And I think ultimately the Trump strategy, as far as if you're in his war room at this point, is they want to lock up as many electors as they can before he has to be in court for basically a ton of the peak campaigning season. Although it's so difficult because I always tend to think like bad always tends to mean good with Trump. So it almost seems like, okay, well, some of these trials, they're going to let cameras in. So that's a win for him. That's maybe even better than a campaign event because he can look like this martyr that he's trying to be. 
So I, I don't know. It, it's it's up is always down in the Trump universe. It's bizarre. So I'm wondering if the time in the courtroom is even going to hurt him. I still do believe that being a convicted felon will hurt him. I can't see that possibly helping. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind, what I was reading in, I think it was Politico, they were saying, well, you know, Trump is not going to be able to campaign this week because he's in court like two out of the, the five days of the week. And one thing I think that's worth keeping in mind is a lot of these these candidates here are not actually campaigning for themselves over Trump. They kind of are, but they don't have the courage to come out and say, I'm a better option than Trump. Trump is a bad option. You shouldn't vote for him. And the fact that they're not actually willing to make that statement, I mean, it arguably just <laughs> makes some of them, especially Vivek, you know, he's basically campaigning for Trump, I, I feel. You know, I, he goes out there, he meets a lot of Trump supporters, he says a lot of things that Trump supporters want him to say, and he prob- probably motivates Trump supporters to be Trump supporters more so than they already are. And from what I understand, that's a question that he gets asked a lot in his town halls. I like you a lot, Vivek, but why should I vote for you over Trump? And I don't know if he really has a concrete answer for that. I mean, I think it's just that Trump is not going to be able to beat Biden or Trump is going to get dragged down by his legal troubles. But it's nothing about Trump's policies. It's it's nothing about anything really about him as a person. There's an argument that you could make there, right? I mean, DeSantis late in the game tried to make the correct argument, which was that, or uh, sorry, not the correct argument, but the best argument you can make as a Republican, which is that Donald Trump caved into the deep state. He gave us the COVID lockdowns. He gave us the you know, massive expansion of the money supply through the Federal Reserve and, and all these other things. He gave us a, a weak crime bill. He's soft on crime. Like You can attack him in all these ways, but Vivek doesn't do it at all. And I think that's probably because Vivek is campaigning for vice president or for a cabinet position, which is the most likely thing. But I just, given that, I don't understand why he campaigned so hard. There's no need, but I guess that's a question for another day. Money, time, and he likes the attention. Um, but no, I think I think it's pretty fair to say, yeah. I mean, he's looking to get a position in the. I I can't really see a universe, honestly, where he's the VP pick. And then I was gonna, I'll I'll share it now. I was gonna talk about this when we talked about the debate. But as far as DeSantis and Haley, I think for them. They're just looking to still be in that territory where they're not completely alienating people who would vote for Trump in the event that Trump is ineligible to run. And then that's when they would swoop in. I have to imagine that that's what some of the conversations are looking like. But this is going to be a very embarrassing year for Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's already pretty embarrassing. It was it was actually kind of sad. He shared it in his Instagram story. And I was really bummed he didn't have it as a post because I was looking for it as we were preparing for this podcast of all the endorsements that he has from people in Iowa. He's got the governor, he's got people involved with groups of evangelical conservatives and like all these major figures. But it's like, okay, dude, those guys and who else? <laughs> you got no you got nobody else, man. It's it's Trump's taking it. That's it. Yeah, that I mean, those people just don't matter. I, I think that's the thing. I think there's this narrative about American politics that 
a lot of people like to tell where there's lots of corruption and where there's these shadowy figures who you can make closed door dealings with. But at the end of the day, it's it's the voters that count. And the primary voters are hardcore with Trump. And there's just nothing that's going to change that. I mean, you know, maybe we could see something or or maybe it was theoretically possible that we could see something where DeSantis and Haley kind of like unite forces and try to make up the anti-Trump wing. But it just doesn't seem to be happening, really. And I think that's a perfect segue to talk about the upcoming Republican debate and how these two not only are nowhere near joining forces, but they're just going to continue tearing each other down and proving what we saw in 2016, that Trump thrives with a crowded primary field. So this debate will already have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but we're still going to be a little bit speculative about it because we are recording the day before the debate on Tuesday, but this debate happened on Wednesday. It was on CNN, which uh, we all know stands for Conservative News Network, so a lot of conservatives will be tuning in, watching this, listening to Ron, listening to Nikki talking, and this debate is literally just going to be the two of them. Um, According to CNN, to qualify for participation in the Iowa debate, candidates must receive at least 10% in three separate national and or Iowa polls of Republican caucus goers or primary voters, and the only two candidates that could do even that with just how much Trump is pulling all the support from the Republicans right now, we're Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. And Donald Trump, of course, although Kevin, I did want to ask you about this because I'm kind of confused. They always say that he qualifies, but then there's that loyalty pledge that says that if you lose and have to drop out, you will support the eventual nominee and he won't sign that. So does he qualify actually? Yeah, I guess te- I guess technically he does not. Yeah, so I, I'm not sh- entirely sure why they say that, but I mean, I guess the idea is maybe he could qualify if he wanted to. Yeah, unlike so some of these other guys, it's bizarre. Um, but don't worry, he still will do something to suck the oxygen out of the room. He is doing a town hall that's going to be broadcast on Fox News, where conservatives will actually be watching on the same day as the debate. But before we get into the candidates that are on the stage or the front runner Trump, I wanted to talk a little bit with you, Kevin, about the candidates who are not going to be seeing this time, Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie, um, namely Chris Christie. So Chris Christie has been the brunt of a lot of attack from within and without his own party calling for him to drop out. There's been columns that have been released from all sorts of news outlets saying that he is actually at this point detracting from what his campaign is all about. He's taking away support that could go to somebody who could defeat Trump. He even released an ad literally addressing calls for him to drop out and saying that he's not going to do it because he's the only Republican in the field telling the truth about Trump. And if you're starting an ad saying, listen, I know a lot of you are saying that I should drop out, you lost. So I don't know. Kevin, what do you think about Chris Christie at this point? Like, I'm just wondering... Are there any persuadable Republican or independent voters that are even receptive to this message? And are they even listening? It, it seems like he's largely just preaching to the choir at this point. I mean, I think what he's doing is productive. I think finally he's doing something good, but I just don't think this is going to work. 
Yeah, as far as Chris Christie's campaign goes, I think he needs to just shut it down like he shut down the George Washington Bridge. It's just there's just no point at this at this point. I understand what you're saying is like, oh, well, I'm the only one telling the truth about Trump. Guess what? It's the 21st century. You can go on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and tell the truth about Donald Trump and you will reach plenty of people like lots of people will listen you can go on all the podcasts you want there's lots of ways to tell the truth about trump and i don't see how him running for president is adding anything to that at this point it just it's just kind of pointless looking to new hampshire i think new hampshire seems to be and and we didn't touch on this too much we're going to touch on new hampshire a lot more next week but new hampshire seems to be the state that nikki haley has the best shot at and the idea that Chris Christie is going to be running in that one in particular, I, I just think it's it seems counterproductive to what your actual goal is if your goal is shutting down Trump, which makes me wonder if there isn't some little inkling that snuck into Chris Christie's head that he could actually become president, which is just it's delusional at this point. And what's wild, too, is I'd look at how low he polls and it just really shows the impact that his message has not had in the Republican Party. They fucking hate him. And even if he were to drop out, the amount of people that support him is so marginal that I really don't even think it would make a lick of difference for whoever it would wind up being sprinkled on. He's got no, like he's lower than Vivek in a lot of polls. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right in the general. I haven't looked at all the polls for New Hampshire. I think I was seeing some that suggested Haley was like, four-ish points away from Donald Trump, which yeah, I mean, I, I don't... Haley's got a... <sighs> she's doing better. I mean, it's, it's maybe the best shot for any other candidate to win a state out there right now that I'm seeing. Exactly. And I think Chris Christie is specifically running... Like, he's skipping Iowa, right, to run in New Hampshire specifically. Yeah. And, I mean, imagine a scenario where... <laughs> where uh, Nikki Haley loses New Hampshire, the one state she might have won all because of Chris Christie. Like it's kind of, well, I don't, okay, sorry. I don't know if it's the only state she would have won, but you know, I, at least the theory, which I I'm skeptical of, but the theory is that they can kind of build momentum in these early states and then they can win a bunch of states down the road and actually change the, change the game. Right. Which who knows if that's actually true, but if you do subscribe to that theory, which a lot of politicians do, I think that the idea that Chris Christie is going to interrupt that momentum here with the candidate who has the best shot of actually stopping Donald Trump, it's just, it, to me, it's counterproductive. It's just crazy though, too, because this, I mean, I think this will bring us into our next topic as well. Nikki Haley has polled as the winner um, to come out of a general against Joe Biden in most polls, right? So that is also a bit alarming in the sense that she's Nikki Haley. And one of the things that she's promised is to release all of the January 6th insurrectionists, which is still a qu quite a dangerous thing. And she has a lot of dangerous ideas herself, but she's not doing this whole dictator spiel that people are loving. So I guess that makes her safer. I don't know. It's it still doesn't feel good, but God, I mean, definitely polling for Nikki in New Hampshire. That's for sure. I tweeted about this 
and I said something to the effect of if party elites could pick like hand pick their presidents the way that they used to be able to prior to like the 60s or whenever they switched that like if it wasn't a actual primary that you vote in I think that the Dems would be totally screwed because the Republicans would pick Nikki Haley because she's the obvious strong choice. I mean, she take any poll you want. She crushes Biden in the general. And I just don't think that like I expect that some people as we approach the general will rethink their decision to not support Biden if Trump is on the ballot because of how much people hate Donald Trump. I don't think anyone will do that with Nikki Haley. She's just much less offensive and much less obviously terrible for the country. Um, and I, again, like you said, I, I have a ton of things that I think is wrong with Nikki Haley. I mean, the idea of pardoning the Jan Sixers is ludicrous. Many of them are are in terrorist groups. So I think that's just insane. But she certainly is not nearly as uh, destructive and corrosive to our country as Donald Trump would be for sure. Yeah, which isn't even arguable anymore. Yeah, but I, I guess speaking of Jan 6, I think we should probably pivot to that topic. So the anniversary yeah. of, of January 6 happened pretty recently. Three years. Um, yeah, uh, which is pretty crazy. It feels like <laughs> it feels like we're still we're still living it. It feels like in a way. So I have to say I was nervous for this anniversary to pass because I just wasn't sure what a lot of these conservatives were going to do during it. I mean, I was expecting there to be parties and there almost was for what it's worth. Marjorie Taylor Greene wrote a book. It's probably ghostwritten. It's definitely horrible, but she booked a venue in Florida for a book signing event and they didn't know this, but they found out ahead of time, the venue that she was actually going to be throwing a big January 6th celebration and so they said, you can't come here anymore. We didn't know that you were going to do that. And I guess that's where we're at with January 6th. I mean, people get their history from the top. They get it from Trump, the guy who knows history the best. And apparently, according to him, he said on January 6th that the January 6th insurrection was actually done by a group of patriots. It was done patriotically and peacefully. He refers to the incarcerated insurrectionists as the J6 hostages calls them political prisoners, and was harassing Joe Biden to let them go and said that he would pardon them if he was president. And many in the Republican primary field have also pledged to pardon the January Sixers if elected. And Joe Biden's kind of turning this into part of his messaging, which I think is smart. It's an easy way to say that Trump is a threat to democracy when you can literally reference a insurrection that happened that was a threat to democracy, trying to overturn a free and fair election. So he's using it as a part of his message, but it's just, to be honest, it, it's it's scary to me how the Republicans led by Donald Trump are going back and revising this history as if this event was something peaceful. Because in all the articles that you read where the Democrats are quoted politicizing January 6th for how horrible it was, you hear about like a cop who some guy just pleaded guilty and is going to jail because he tased him three times, causing him to have a minor heart attack and a permanent damage to his heart and brain. And five people died and many people went to the hospital. We have footage of it all. Most of it was shot by the people who participated. 
And it's just insane that people who we have video of and text chains of are saying that this was a peaceful thing. So, example, Donald Trump Jr., known genius, tweeted, Happy Fake Insurrection Day. The first ever insurrection with an armed tour guide, or sorry, with armed tour guides and unarmed participants. I do hope that it was the start of something real, though, where people realize that their government is not what they thought it to be and unite to take back their country. Which, bro, we literally have text messages of you and Mark Meadows where you're saying, Mark, the president needs to tell the people in the Capitol to go home. And Meadows is saying, can you make a statement asking people to leave the Capitol? To which Trump Jr. says, it has gone too far. Like, we have it. We have all the text. We have all the tweets. Roll back the tape. We have it all. This is not something that you can deny. Like, this happened. It was horrible. And it's just so disrespectful, disgraceful, and scary to say that it was a fake insurrection and to throw a party about it. And also, how can you throw a party about it if it was actually something that was staged by the FBI, by the Antifa, right? By Joe Biden's weaponized justice system to kind of make Trump look bad. You can't have it both ways. So I don't even, I don't even know where to start. Like, I'm just, it's, it's, I'm so done with it. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the absurdity, right? Where it's like, oh, it was staged as an event by Antifa and the FBI, but it was good and we should celebrate it. And it was the best day ever. And everybody there did good things and it was good. And so it's just, it's silly, but I want to focus on something different. I mean, obviously January 6th was an insurrection. Obviously all these people are completely full of shit behind the scenes. They are saying something completely different and then they come out and lie because they think it's politically advantageous for them. But one thing that was very frustrating for me is it felt like there was the Jan 6 committee and then the January 6 committee disbanded. And after that, there was basically nothing coming, no information coming from the left about January 6th. And meanwhile, the right, and I'm, I'm witnessing all of this on Twitter, now X, but the right is basically running rampant with these insane conspiracy theories, and not just insane, but just patently, utterly stupid and verifiably false conspiracy theories about a guy named Ray Epps who secretly planned it all, apparently running around the Capitol telling every single person who broke in that day, whispering in their ear, telling them to go. Um, just silly nonsense like that, or the idea that um, cops were guiding people through the building. That's what I think Donald Trump Jr. was referring to in your quote there, which was not true. What cops were basically trying to do was strategically like open doors for the rioters to essentially lead them into the building and then lead them back out because they didn't have the manpower to actually stop everyone from coming in. So they were trying to do damage control, basically. But all of these things, they're verifiably false. And it's kind of shocking to me that we're only just now getting statements from Joe Biden about this. And, you know, maybe it's wrong for a president to be trying to do like social media wars, essentially. But I just think that the damage is done. Like when I go out and I if I go out and I say these things, well, hey, here's the explanation for why it looks like in one or two videos that that Tucker Carlson hand selected to deliberately propagandize to you about January 6th. The reason it looks that way is because of all these reasons, because cops were trying to essentially get people out of the building rather than into the building. The problem is the damage is already done. The idea is cemented in people's mind 
And nobody's thinking about what the evidence is for the fact that there were guides bringing these people around the building. People just know it as a fact. And it's very hard to unlodge that fact from people's minds. And I think the reality is, is that but it, would, it is it easy. Been... That's the thing that blows my mind. It is easy. Roll back the tape. I mean, we have all the evidence. It was it was so violent. We have videos of that cop getting squeezed between the doors, screaming. I mean, but what I mean is that gassed. and the guy at the head of the party at the time, who's still the acting president, is just sitting on his ass for hours and hours and hours. I mean, we have recently released. I mean, Mike Pence when he finds out that. Mike's getting evacuated to a separate spot. You know, it's so what? What I mean is that like, obviously, yeah, of course. Right. But but what I mean is that all of these things, because of the propaganda campaign that the right has been doing with guys like Tucker Carlson, literally handpicking footage um, to deliberately paint a false picture and all of this stuff, the right has worked incredibly hard to come up with very clever propaganda for the past three years. They've been doing this. and so the ideas are already cemented into people's minds. And they're not things that one needs evidence for anymore. They're facts that happened. They're assumed facts that happened, right? Like it isn't a thing that somebody needs evidence for anymore. It just is a fact that we know is true, at least to these people, that cops were guiding the people around the Capitol that day. That's just a fact to them. And it's very hard to dispute that now because they've been propagandized to about it for the past like two, three years. And that's why I think it's a little bit frustrating to me that we're only really just now getting information from this uh, about this from the Biden administration, because like it's it's very hard to undo the damage that's been done at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I don't know what to say. I mean, I think that like the whole country was was shocked and Republicans were shocked too. And a lot of the ones that spoke out about it and kind of said that like this is this is a line in the sand have just totally walked that back to the point where they're now literally saying that it was not what we all know it was and it's it's honestly really disturbing and frankly i mean i initially when i was thinking about this i was just kind of throwing up my hands in the air and just saying you know what just we're a nation of laws and so keep prosecuting these people the way that we are and try them on a jury of their peers. You know, they get the full American, you know, due process of the law. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty and just keep going with that and not stop what all these people have to say. But yeah, no, I, I do find myself agreeing with you in the sense that Biden has to, and the left have to take that narrative back and say, look, this is what really happened that day. And this was a threat to democracy because if they seed any ground on that. What they're also doing is allowing Trump to continue sowing those seeds in people's minds that, well, guess what? If they're hostages, well, what does that imply? Well, that implies that we have a justice system that doesn't work for you. It throws people like you in jail and it throws away the key when you haven't done anything wrong. Hold you hostage because you're a member of the opposing political party. You support a political rival to the president in office. That's not a legitimate government. That's not a government that we need. That's not a government that works for you. So it also has that danger too, along with it. In addition, in addition to the d- literally denying something that's not even history, it's just three years old. Yeah, for sure. Like what you're saying is true. You're running the risk of basically people starting to cement the belief that 
And this is something that Trump has been trying to do for almost his entire presidential and post-presidential career, is to convince people that they need to rise up in violence against the government, that there isn't another option because the courts are corrupt, the FBI is corrupt, the police are corrupt, everybody's corrupt. And so you need to rise up in violence. At least he walks you all the way there. And then he's like, well, I guess you got to do something about it. And you're left to figure out what that is. And most people on the Capitol that day decided that what they needed to do was run into Congress and try to kill some lawmakers, which is what they did, which is what a lot of them did. Granted, and you know, I'll just say this for, I don't know if anybody listening at this point is a Trump supporter. Sure, there were some people who just kind of wanted to walk into the Capitol because a bunch of people had already broke in and kind of like goof off and you know take pictures and whatever. Um, and while those people were still trespassing, they're still te- they still technically broke the law. They're not on par with like the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys, people who had real criminal conspiracies in mind when they broke into the Capitol. But nonetheless, those criminal conspirators were there and they did conspire to break in and, and kill and possibly kidnap lawmakers. So that's, you know, that's just a fact. But fortunately, we actually don't have anything to worry about because Trump is going to lose the election. So on Fox News, as I know you saw, Kevin, if you didn't, you have to. You have to look this up. Of course, I didn't see it on primetime. I saw a replay of it. Jesse Waters, the brilliant host who they brought in to replace Tucker Carlson, had on a psychic who used tarot cards to predict the results of the 2024 election. Which, first of all, what do you think of having a self-proclared ghost hunter and clairvoyant on a show that caters to a Christian evangelical? Like, like it not this stuff like Satanism to them? Yeah, that part confused me, too. I mean, like you, I just kind of watched the clip really quick once you had sent it to me. And so I'd, I didn't really get the full context or if it was there, I didn't notice it. But it is kind of weird to me that yeah, you would bring in something that to a lot of evangelicals would be satanic. Then again, I mean, Reagan, his his wife, I believe, was really into astrology and would regularly consult. Um, and uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, an astrologist, a hor- horoscopist. I have no fucking idea what those are called, but she regularly consulted one. And I think Reagan did a few times as well. So who knows, you know? But that's Reagan, though. He can get away with whatever he wants, right? Isn't that how it goes? That's a good point. Yeah. And I'm sure most people don't actually know that, like evangelicals anyway. So, But this was a great moment anyway, because Paula Roberts is, is her name. And sure, shout out to Paula Roberts. She was asked to predict whether or not Trump would win the 2024 election. And she consulted her tarot deck. And she pulled a card called the Five of Cups, which for those of you who aren't fluent in tarot cards like myself... This indicates, quote, a meaning of dejection, disappointment, and sorrow over past events. It can also represent a blindness to good in a given situation. Although the person pictured on the card has lost three cups, two still stand, and he or she fails to appreciate what is left. So as soon as she drew this card, they both immediately said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And she tried to walk it back saying like, I, I know I'm on Fox News. So listen, I, it, it could very much be just that he has this sense of loss, but, 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 it, but it's very specific. It says as if he may be thinking more about what he's lost 
and still not taking full advantage of what he still has is kind of the way that she spun it. So what are your thoughts on this reading? Is this a good sign for Democrats? Um, I mean, I would say that it is, but should we consult Marianne Williamson on this one? Yeah, I guess maybe we should. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I obviously I think all this like ghost hunter clairvoyant stuff is nonsense personally, so I don't put any stock in it. Personally, I think they should have gotten I had to Google this guy's name because I forgot it. But Zach Baggins of the uh, Ghost Adventures show, which was was an awesome show back in the day. I think it's still going. I'm not really sure, but I used to watch that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't put any stock in it, but it certainly, it certainly is funny. It's a good bit of schadenfreude. I do think for all you ghost adventures people out there, Zach might be a little bit too confrontational. I think he might wind up finding that he has some disagreements with the ghost of Ronald Reagan. He might have a, a one-sided screaming match in your studio. Not that that's something that they're not used to at Fox news. I mean, that was essentially the Tucker Carlson show, but I, I don't, I don't know about Zach. What, what do you think about Chris Angel? Maybe Chris Angel. Oh, does he do ghost stuff? I, I actually don't know. But I don't know. yeah, sure. Other tricks, right? Or yeah, sure. Have, you know, let's have David Copperfield have him on. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, if this is the way we're doing things from now on, I don't know. Certainly better than some of the polls in 2016. So. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. This was supposed to be our funny segment, and I don't think that there's any jokes here. I think this is essentially like the prostate exam of politics. Like it's, it's played out. Okay. They had a psychic medium reading tarot cards on Fox news. And even she said that Trump is going to (laughs) lose. Like that's it. I mean, I just, I just don't know if there's any way you can spin that material. I don't know. I would challenge like Larry David. I know he's listening to the show. He's a fan to do something with that or like bring Jonathan Swift back or take this to a South park writer's room. I just don't think that you can make this, any funnier than it is if you haven't watched it watch it it's fucking hilarious because she also does a reading for joe biden (laughs) Um, and for joe biden she pulls a card called the nine of pentacles which i mean look for a what 81 year old president sounds bad (laughs) like uh because pentacles makes you think of pentagram i don't know but this one means quote having the financial independence having the self-reliance of personal pursuits, the ability to treat yourself with luxury, being on a stable financial plateau, and steady security. So I don't know, maybe that impeachment hearing will turn up the fact that Hunter Biden, Ukraine, laptop, all did mean a shit ton of money for him, a lot more than we thought. And he's actually living in much more luxury than we already thought that he was. And he's going to get to enjoy a nice retirement after living to the ripe old age of 200, finishing his second term. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought this might mean that, you know, a new payment comes in from via the Hunter Biden slush fund, but I guess that's the same joke. All right. And so I think that's enough Jesse Waters talk for any episode or any lifetime for that matter. So we're going to move on now to our closing segment of our weekly show, which is filling the Burgum with Doug Burgum. So Doug Burgum, as you all know, had a memorable campaign for president in 2024. He graced the debate stage twice with his torn ACL and his bushy eyebrows. He really set the nation on fire. Everybody was feeling the burgum. And so to commemorate just how excited we got, how revved up, how emotional we got inspired by that campaign, we do this segment every week called Feeling the Burgum, where we just talk about something that we're feeling the burgum about. So something that's 
got us excited, inspired, or really just has been occupying our thoughts. It can be a rant. It can be something that we find hilarious. In this case, it's going to be a rant this week. Sorry, Kevin, but it's been brewing. I am filling the Bergham about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So, Kevin, you don't know who Gypsy Rose Blanchard is, so <laughs> I'm going to explain to you. Essentially, she is a criminal who just got out of jail for conspiring to murder her mother. Of course, that needs a little bit more context to be fair. She was the victim of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, and the abuse was was brutal. I mean, her mom basically had her in a wheelchair, had her hooked up to a feeding tube. She could walk. She could eat on her own. Shaved her head, claimed that she had life-compromising diseases like leukemia. She had her salivary glands removed, like all these operations that she didn't need. And for example, removing the salivary glands resulted in her teeth drying up so much so that they basically rotted out of her mouth. And so I believe half of her teeth are metallic. The other half is kind of like a denture almost. So she was basically abused until she was in her mid-20s when she reached basically hiding from her mom that she was communicating with this guy over the computer who I think is is very much on the, the autism spectrum and has multiple personalities, conspired with this guy to have him come to her house and murder her mother so that she could flee with him and they could basically live there happily ever after. He saved the princess, that kind of stuff. They got really lost in the fantasy of it. And so he shows up, this is in 2015, stabs the mother to death. They flee, put up a couple cryptic Facebook posts on Gypsy and the mother Didi's shared Facebook account saying the bitch is dead. We killed her. They eventually get caught pretty quickly. And currently, Nick Godajohn, the name of the guy, is serving life in prison without parole. She was convicted. She just got out. And now she's got this lifetime special where she's doing all of her confessions. Hulu did a limited series on it, which admittedly I watched. And she's basically being treated as this celebrity on Instagram, on all of her comments, has people saying, you know, slay queen, you look beautiful, saying all this. I mean, you could, it's really difficult to find a comment section of the internet that is more positive than the comment section of Gypsy Rose Blanchard on Instagram. And I don't want to detract from the fact that she was a victim of horrendous, horrendous abuse, absolutely horrendous abuse. But she conspired with somebody to murder her mother, and we're treating her like a celebrity. It just feels like we're living that Quentin Tarantino natural-born killers. I mean, I know that as a nation, we've always been fascinated with killers, especially serial killers, and we really do a lot to glamorize them. But this is just a case where we're letting this woman who conspired to murder her own mother in a horrible way walk the red carpet. I mean, I think she should definitely be acknowledged for the abuse that she's suffered and she served her time. She was given a sentence and I could like it, I could leave it, but she served the full sentence. I mean, like she was still responsible for something so fucking horrible. Why are we treating her like she's this influencer? Yeah, this is a weird thing that it feels like we now have to deal with every now and again. I last year watched a very interesting documentary about this guy who went viral on YouTube. I forget what they called him, but he was basically some homeless dude who (laughs) 
Kai. He beat Kai. Kai. Yeah, Kai. Yeah. There it is. He beat some dude with an axe. He used like the blunt end of the axe. Like he didn't kill the guy, but he beat some dude with an axe because the guy was like attacking a woman. And he went really viral because it was, it seemed like a very heroic thing. And the interview and, was pretty iconic. He was like, Yes. I went, wham, wham, wham. And, it, and he was yeah. very charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, he was charismatic. He was, he said it, he gave this whole spiel when they first asked him the question where he was like, you know, first of all, I just want you to know whoever you are and whatever you've done, you are loved. And like, then he went on his tangent about how he beat the guy with the max. But, you know, the, the spectacle of it, I think, caused people to overlook the fact that what he got famous for was beating a dude over the head with an axe. And then, of course, uh, he got looped into the various like comedy show segments for a little bit. I think he went on like uh, Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. And yeah, he did. Quickly, people started to realize, oh, this dude is not all there. Like he's he's a little bit whack. He's possibly a little bit dangerous. And then eventually he killed somebody, but he still has a following to this day of people who think he's innocent, who think he's a hero and who want him like free from jail. There's a whole, I think it's called like free Kai. You can find on like Facebook and stuff. There are still people who think he's, you know, this great hero. Um, And it feels like this is just going to be a regular thing that we're going to deal with where, you know, a murderer can now just kind of make a social media account and develop some sympathy. And people will support them, um, which is pretty scary to think about. And hey, loops right in with January 6th, I guess. <laughs> and it's also been a thing. I mean, we, you had women outside the courtroom when Ted Bundy was being tried with signs saying, kill me, Ted. And you almost want to walk those people through the sorority house where he murdered, what was it, six some odd women. Um, I'm not going to walk through the particulars of that horrendous, horrendous crime scene, but you almost want to walk those people through that crime scene the same way that Eisenhower walked Germans through a concentration camp to say, look, this is what happened. This is what this guy, Ted Bundy, is capable of doing. And you want to get in bed with this guy? Like, are you out of your fucking minds? Get out of that courtroom. Stop embarrassing yourself. Stop giving this guy any kind of attention at all because this guy is a fucking murderer and the only thing this guy has to teach us is perhaps better ways of catching people just like him yeah definitely agreed feeling the bergam on that one too yeah i've been feeling the bergam about that one for the past two weeks especially because the series was eight episodes long about gypsy rose blanchard and it easily could have been two easily but maybe that's a, a Bergam rant for another time. I think most limited series could just be a 90-minute movie. So maybe next uh, next Bergam might be about that. We'll see. All right, people. Well, we're getting a far away from politics, which I guess is good. A little bit of escapism, even if it's talking about people who conspired to murder their own mothers. Um, anyway, stay safe. Stay sane, especially if you are going out to caucus in Iowa with, I guess, the, the nasty weather, apparently. Just make sure, not that this is a weather podcast, but uh, dress for the weather and vote with your conscience. Please do. We'll see you next week. Before you head out, feel free to subscribe and rate us. Leave a friendly comment on the way out. It really helps the podcast when you do. And if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find our Twitter or Instagram in the description below. We'll keep you updated about the show, and we'll also fill your feed with plenty of good old-fashioned memes.
Follow us on Facebook as well. If you're a Facebook person, just type the Almost Presidents podcast into that search bar. And lastly, you can write into the show. Our Gmail is the Almost Presidents podcast at gmail.com, which you can also find in the description.